0: Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 302 and part one of my conversation with the longtime director of percussion activities at Northern Michigan University, as well as the longtime historian for the Percussive Arts Society, Jim Strain. Summer continues at a frighteningly fast pace, getting back into the email, the setting up of classes, the meetings the band charts, all the typical faculty stuff. Here we are. But I'm thankful that I've had some time over the past couple of weeks to spend time out of town with family and friends and continuing to work on my upcoming recital in September, which I'll talk about at a later time. But for right now, let's get to today's guest, Jim Strain. Jim and I have actually known each other for quite a while. Essentially, the entire time, that the National Conference on Percussion Pedagogy, or NCPP, has been around. As I've stated before on the show, I've been involved in NCPP since the beginning, as it was started by my mentor and extremely recent podcast guest, as in the last two weeks, Court McLaren. I was a grad student at UNCG with Court in its first year in 2000, And then I ran the conference as part of my grad assistantship for the next three years. In any case, those early years included Jim as someone who came to the conference on a regular basis and contributed all of the time. And that's how we met. What was fun about getting to talk to Jim over the years, but particularly here, is to not only hear more about his backstory as it relates to NCPP, but about his background and his position at the school. One of my favorite comments from Jim regarding opportunities that comes up here is, quote, when someone opens a door for you, walk through it. We'll talk more about the doors that were open to Jim over his time in his career and how he's made that into his own path. We get to a whole lot in this interview to the point that we'll be making this a two-parter. This time around, we'll get to everything regarding Jim's job at Northern Michigan And his presence in the surrounding communities His connections to NCPP His work as the PAS historian His roots in many parts of the South And his degree work and early career in Arkansas and Cincinnati In part two, we'll get to the rest So let's get to it We recorded this interview over Zoom on June 17th, 2022 And it begins right now So Jim, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities as they are at this point. My university
1: position is one where I'm teaching. uh, First off, this is my 40th. I just finished 40 years of university teaching. And so it's obviously at different universities or colleges and different schools have changed. What I'm doing right now primarily is I'm teaching um, a music history sequence. It's a, it's a three semester sequence. Um, and I'm teaching a form and analysis course, which is the capstone for all of the theory and music history course. Um, I teach applied percussion, of course. I um, manage the drum line, which is a significant amount of time only because I choose to be there in many ways. I'm responsible for all of the instrument, um, acquisition, maintenance, Repair, distribution between all the different ensembles and things like that. Conduct percussion ensemble. Then there's some other courses like percussion methods that m- might be offered every other uh, every other year, some things like that. Um, in the past, I've taught all of the theory sequences um, and the sight singing sequences and things like that a good bit as well. Outside. I don't know what my percussion responsibilities are. I'm the principal percussionist and the timpanist with the Marquette Symphony. That's a half a dozen concerts, maybe a year. Um, It's a pretty good orchestra. It's been around um, 26 years. We did our 25th anniversary last year. And I started on the second concert. I missed one concert before I was hired here. I also occasionally play with our faculty um, jazz group. I'll, I'll sort of do that whenever we decide that we want to do that. Um, I'm, that's you know that's often at our jazz fest. We've got a pretty good jazz fest. It'll have like 20, 25 high school bands at it, and a guest clinician, you know, pretty important person someplace. That's been kind of fun. Um, I'll occasionally do solos with our with our city band here. The city band's very active. Um, they do concerts in the park. Um, they have a bandstand. that has been there a hundred years, um, and and all of that. Um, I am. Do you want historian stuff with PAS and editor stuff with PAS? Are those percussion responsibilities? Sure. Yeah. I. I so I'm the historian for the Percussive Arts Society. Um, I don't know how long I've been doing that. Um, I do know that the first time I was asked if I would be interested in doing it was 1988. Um And at that time I had started my doctorate at Eastman and John Beck was president of PAS. And he said, you know, I think you would be really good at doing this. Would you be interested in doing it? And I said, yes, I would be interested, but I cannot because I'm in the middle of my doctorate and I have no time to do anything. And I have no idea what would go on. Kathy Kastner then accepted that position and probably about five years later, she, something like that, she said she was done with it. And Said I should do it. I, th- I think I did it one year interim. Um, and then I put together a, d- a job description. And then Lisa Rogers and I became co-historians, um, which I thought was a great idea. And that started a very, a very close relationship with Lisa that um, I think she and I are just um, very glad we've been able to be, you, you know, so compatible with our interest and things like that. Um, and then I'm an editor for the Percussive Notes magazine. I'm an associate editor of research. And Lisa is also an associate editor of research. So we also collaborate with there. Um, so we're always in communication about a lot of things there. Lisa stopped doing the historian thing when, um, when she became president of PAS. I don't remember when that is, but I still rely on her in her areas of expertise all the time. And then some way or other, I, I don't know, where it started exactly, but um, I began writing not necessarily as historian or editor, but just because I took a very strong interest in the museum for PAS when it first started um, in Lawton, Oklahoma, the very first year. I was the first visitor to the headquarters when it moved there with Steve Beck, and I went there to look at the only thing that they owned that was a museum collection kind of thing, which was two large file cardboard boxes from Frank's drum shop what that resulted in is me being very actively involved in the in the museum as it was built and things acquisition and then I began writing descriptions we had a few different people in the office and some people that have worked there that did that but many years ago I began writing descriptions that go into the percussive notes magazine of all those instruments so I get to research that um and that's all good. And there's hundreds, there's a hundred and fifty maybe of those in the very back page of the journal there. That probably sums it up, other than the fact that any anytime someone needs a percussionist or a drummer in this area, I'm probably one of the very first people they will call. So if they're a guest artist coming in, it's always good to do that. Um sometimes it's some pretty big names at some casinos or something like that. So,
0: so first thing is what year did you start working at um, Northern Michigan? I I was
1: hired in the fall of 1997.
0: Tell me about getting that job where you were before then, and then what was kind of the status of the program when you you enter it? The year
1: before I, I took this job, I had left Kansas State the previous year. I had been associate director of bands and percussion professor there. I had left that and taken a one-year appointment at Indiana University um, to teach applied percussion at IU in Bloomington. And I had recently gotten married. Um, and so the 96, 97 academic year, I was in Bloomington. And my um, wife at that time was, had been an elementary school music teacher, but she was a vocalist by trade. And she, we discussed when that happened that she would like to be perhaps get into grad school. So she decided she would do that. She got into grad school there uh, to do a master's in vocal performance. So my whole year there, um, which was an interesting job, it was you know great people to work with, but they did not um, get along necessarily very well. And that's no secret to any of them there. And, and my goal, I like to tell people, was, was to spend a year there Um, helping as best I could with whatever anybody needed and be able to walk away from there with everyone remaining a good friend. And I think I was successful at that. The second thing my goal was, uh, and that's besides teaching um, that my teaching load there was 20 performance majors. Um, That's what I did, you know, the full load pretty much. Um, And so my second goal was, okay, this is going to be a one year job. And my wife just started a two year master's degree. (laughs) And so all I was interested in was I just need to make sure I have another job for next year. And Northern was the first job that came open that said percussion and some other stuff on it like that. And so I applied for it, interviewed and got it. Um, and, And again, it's like most years. I'm not really sure. My guess would be there's less than a half a dozen any given year Um, positions um, that that would start out with percussion on there and sometimes none um, on that. So so I was fortunate to get that. Um, The program was very down. There were um, probably about less than 30 people in the marching band. My first year of doing the um, drum line, I had five people on the drum line and only one of them would say, I'm really a drummer. Everybody else was kind of something else, but they liked to do drumming as well Mm -hmm. on that. Um, And the band director also came that year and the orchestra director also came came that year. So we had a new percussion percussion slash theory um, and director of bands and, and director of the orchestra. All three of us have been here the entire time. Now, we'll begin, begin our 26 years, so we're very very close with that. It took a few years to build the program up. You said
0: 30 in the marching band. What was the percussion major's situation like?
1: Uh, I think I had one person that was a percussion major at that time. I might have had two. And I think that one of, one of them like went through and finished, and the other one, I think, dropped out after a year. That's my recollection. And I'm actually still in touch with uh, every single person on that line. Um, And one 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 is a clarinet player that's a local band director. Um, And so she also remembers all of that. She's very active as an alumni, as well as helping to, you know, just music education in the whole area here. So
0: what were you looking at? And and I can include you and the other directors too. What were you all looking at facilities wise for
1: where the program was when you entered? I think the facilities were adequate but dated. The building that we were in um, was built in about nineteen. I'm gonna say sixty five. The band and choir rooms were prob- probably adequate for size wise, instrument wise. I don't think they had really bought anything new percussion-wise probably since um, that building was refurbished. They might have added another one other marimba, and they might have replaced a xylophone, or a marching xylophone might have been replaced. And it seemed like they had a key line instrument that um, had originally had wood keys, um, something like that. Um, one set of functioning timpani, one set of non-functional, you know, from the 40s or something like that Um, classroom space was okay but it was also all dated and everything and then we did um, probably about within the within 10 years of me getting here um, we did a complete refurbishment of the entire building and I had adequate input on the design of that building as well on that and then we also built um, there was no real performance space on campus other than a large lecture hall with completely raked seating straight down to a stage and it was a circular building so there were three or four of those all different sizes Mm -hmm. and you could actually open some of the stage up and and have like a larger stage that was really kind of in the other room kind of stuff Um, but acoustically it was about as bad as you could I mean it was designed as a lecture hall and it was about as bad as you could be acoustically on that. So we did build a really nice recital hall. It's a 300-seat recital hall. There's a civic auditorium that's managed by the public schools, and that's very old. I don't know how old it is now, and it's almost impossible to update anything with that. Um, It's functional, but it's got very small seats. I just don't know how people were so small like 75 years ago. It's like everywhere you go, it's like people really fit in here like that. So, and, um, that's, that seats, um, 850, maybe something like that. And so if there's a really big concert, we might do two shows of things sometimes, um, like the symphony or, um, choral society or some things like that.
0: So when you were brought in your, you said the position was, I guess, percussion. And I think we like to say, uh, duties as needed or whatever. (laughs) Um, so, Did it evolve? Because it sounds like you, you came in, you were already doing like a a theory portion, but now you're also doing history. Like, has that just kind of come up because there was a need and you're like, oh, I could do this because I, how did that all kind of happen?
1: Other than my one year at, at IU, everywhere I've ever been, I've taught something other than or in addition to, let's say, in addition to my percussion responsibility. And if I and and I like to explain that I I did teach high school one year and I worked at a junior college in Mississippi for, I think, eight years. I think that's how long it was. I'm not certain. And I taught at a four year state university um, in Colorado. And I taught at a major university, Kansas State University. And I also taught I was a teaching associate um, at Eastman when I was doing my doctorate. Um, and then I, I taught at Indiana University, which I would just say is a major conservatory of music. So when I got here, I had already taught a little bit of everything at different schools. Um, I even had um, a section of music appreciation when I taught high school. So I had taught that. I taught music history um, at Kansas State. I taught a one or two sections maybe of of what was a um, comprehensive music major. In other words, one course that met five days a week included theory, sight singing, conducting, and music literature. Mm-hmm. So, so you taught all of those things as a comprehensive approach of, of, of learning that. and it, And that went, it was a two year sequence on that. So so yes, it evolved based on not necessarily my abilities, but the other people in the department's abilities. This department has, has most of the time I've been here, has had about 10 full-time music department people and a few adjuncts and a couple of positions added on as extra that never, never got converted and they, they left and took another position, something like that. We have about um, somewhere between in the last 25 years, I'm gonna say somewhere between after maybe five years. Let's say the last 20 years, somewhere between, I'm gonna say 30 and 80 majors. Okay. Something like that. It's it's been very up and down at different times. And the um total number of students here has probably gone anywhere from six to twelve thousand up and back down. And I think it's about nine right now. I can't explain any of that. I don't know anything about. The grand scheme of that. But on that note, what's
0: when you are recruiting or, or anything that's related to bringing people in, what are the things that you're selling and what's selling the program to? Is this program the school? What kinds of things are you telling? And additionally, what, what's the kind of the typical range geographically of students that come to you?
1: Um, I would say half the students are probably from um, Mm -hmm. in-state and a majority of them probably are not from the upper peninsula where the university is, but they're from downstate. They're from, from there. I would say another quarter of them probably are from Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. which is immediately below where I am. And a lot of, you know, so so if people don't know the whole geography thing, then they're from there and then some they'll, they'll head over into Minnesota as well. The, the very edge of us connects to Minnesota actually. Um, and then, then another fourth is just from all over the United States. They have some connection some way to either a program that they're interested in studying at the university here or they um, have visited here on vacation or they have relatives that um, are here. Many, many people come here um, I'm located right on the southern part of, well, I'm on the northern part of the Upper Peninsula, but that's the southern part of Lake Superior, which is across the lake. It's a long swim. Believe me, Lake Superior is the largest freshwater lake in the world. It's very big, it's like an ocean, mm-hmm. and um, many people come up here for the outdoor activities and the winter sports, and it's an all season um, vacation destination. So that's that's the whole scheme of it. Um my my best estimate and um I I don't even know what it's hard to know what the statistics are on on someone that's here and says, "Oh, I took a vacation to see my grandparents and I liked it so well so I'll go back." It's a small medium medium small university. Um many people say they like they come here because they don't want to go to a huge place where their number, it's too big. They want to be involved in say marching band. That's not a huge competitive thing um, where where you're just gonna do that. Our program depends very much on what I was there, talented non-majors with that. Um, um, Percussion majors, I usually have about a half a dozen. I've had as many as 15. I know that's the highest number that I can remember having. And that was a, a decade ago, probably at least. But even though I just have that many majors, I have uh, usually about 30 to 40 people that are active in some part of the program as percussionists. Um, Percussion ensembles usually 15 to 20 people at least. Um, And the drum line is 18. It's pretty set at 18 on that. So,
0: You know, when you were mentioning the, um, you know, the local, the symphony and the city band, are they
1: using Northern Michigan's facilities or do they have their own places? The Marquette Symphony, when it was started, was founded by the high school orchestra director and the music department chair at Northern. Um, There were some other people involved, but that's how it was founded. There was a process at at different times to rehearsed that group at the high school at first and then we sort of worked out I was involved with the symphony very heavily I was on the board I was invited to be on the board when there was a big breakup of who was really running things you know whether it was the board or the head of the music department or the high school orchestra director all those people that had started it At that point, we began rehearsing at Northern and we used Northern facilities for rehearsals. And then we would move to the auditorium for the final two rehearsals in the concert. Um, That includes um, me working out that the symphony is able to use all the percussion equipment and be reimbursed for that and reimbursement for the truck to help move things. And then the city band has its own band shell um, at the park, at at our city park, but um, it's, it's very dated and there is storage room out there, but it's impossible to rehearse there in foul weather is what I would say. Um, and so the city band has rehearsed in various different places. When the high school director was the director of the city band, it would rehearse at the high school. For maybe the last 10 years, I'm guessing is the um, university director here, band director, has been the director of the city band. Um, And so he's also moved that to where it's being rehearsed um, at Northern. There was a time period in there where all of the instruments and the rehearsal space was at one of the um, multi-facility buildings in the city. It's it's at Lakeview Arena. And Lakeview Arena, even though, and the city council used to meet at Lakeview Arena. So it's it's a big public forum with some big rooms and things like that. But what it really is is a big ice rink. And so there's other rooms all outside and everything, but the instruments were stored there. We would rehearse there and things like that. I do not perform full-time at all with the city band. I'll go in and do occasional performances. And then routinely, um, the directors have always asked me to play solos in the summer, to do xylophone solos or duets or some things like that. So I, I, I'll always do performances outside if, if I'm featured and things like that. It's just really good publicity and, and kind of fun to play, too. And the city band owns all of their own instruments and equipment and everything. Um, and, and especially they've been going through the last few years and getting donations and writing grants and replacing and updating all of their percussion instruments. They have a wonderful old set of original, um, you know, wide bar Deegan's Deegan round tops. It's just like, you know, just a it's one of those that you just say, wow, I'll never see one of those again. So. That's
0: great. You know, we, one of the ways that we've, Known each other is because of the NTPP, yes. the National Conference on Percussion Pedagogy. Uh, my guess is that your way in, was your way in through Lisa? Or did you already know everyone when, if you can remember back, I mean, that's 20 years ago plus at this point, but kind of your re- remembrances of being there in the early years?
1: Those years have all gone by very quickly. And yes, I, it was Lisa that said, I think you'd be interested in this and, and we'd like for you to come. Um and I'm at that time it was it was at um UNCG UNCG. Yeah. And um my guess is that every year for a while, there would although there would be some people I would know, there were most people that I didn't really know. And a lot of times if there was a guest artist brought in, I might already know that guest artist, but the vast majority of them, I really didn't know. And we, of course, also what I'm going to say is that even though I didn't know them, we all had someone very close in common um, with all of that. Yeah, um, yeah. And, my, and, you know, one of my favorite people at the very beginning of it was Joe Shively. Yeah. Um, and when he and I sat down to talk, then he said, oh, like, here's where I'm from or something like that. And as it turns out, um, just to show you how small a world is, is because, you know, he's a trombone player, but he said he got involved in this percussion stuff and all that. Well, the person that kind of got him involved in percussion stuff was Michael Bump. Oh, I don't know that I knew that. Okay. And Michael Bump was very best friends with my younger brother when I was in high school. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are the same age and they were best friends and they're both drummers. Mm. And so, so they were my student, I'm three years older than, than them. And so they were my students, my early, some of my earliest teaching sort of things. And especially at some, we would have these extended summer camps at, uh, uh, at music camps where we lived in Arkansas. And so I would be on the faculty there even as they went through that. And then Michael moved, moved to Memphis and would come back and do lessons with, with our percussion teacher there, Jared Spears. I don't know if you know Jared Spears name or not. I know the name. I, I've never met him. But. And so that that event that essentially were like very quickly was like, oh, yeah, like this sort of stuff. So sometimes I can look at I feel like like Joe's like a second generation <laughs> or, or that um, and all that. I didn't. And the other people like I did not know Court. Um, I knew who Court was. And he's just, you know, turned out to be just a wonderful friend over the years and all of that. And you guys too, like, you know, meeting all the up and coming people. I'm very fascinated. I was you know this this uh, this last um, conference that we just had, you know, the court introducing me as one of the old guys, you know, <laughs> and it's like, okay, how long do you hang around to be like? And you look around, it's like, yes, yeah, like me, and you know three or four other people, and and yes, I've been around a long time, but I also started very young at it, it seems like, sure. I've been very fortunate. I just, you know, I just tell anyone absolutely that music has been very good to me. Um, I have no qualms about saying to anyone, if you want to have a wonderful life and you like doing music stuff, then absolutely pursue it. Don't think it's all going to happen that first week out of college, but um, you know, pursue it. And if you if you look to the right things and and walk through the doors when they open them. You'll have no idea what's going to happen to you, but it will happen, and, and hopefully it'll be a great life for you.
0: I hadn't heard that phrase that way, but I like the walk through the doors when they open. Wait, what, say that again? When someone opens a door for you, walk
1: through it. Yeah. Um, you don't know what's on the other side, but it may very well be it may very well be exactly what you were looking for and you didn't know it. Opportunities only come along much of the time one time. For example, it was really hard for me to say no with that story when John Beck said, would you like to be historian?" Right. Because to have someone invite you to be in a position on an international organization that I had already been working with 10 years, yeah. maybe, yeah. And, and if anyone's ever, you know, I, I don't know, can you still remember your first um, PAS convention? Uh, I can, yeah. I mean, was that not just a life-changing experience? It was. It was a weird one, though,
0: because my first one was – was ni- I, I went with UNC Greensboro um, when we were playing, and that was 1998 in Orlando. And at that one, I was, I was interested in the conference, but I was more int- – and it was like – it was cool, but I was also like, we're in Orlando. I'm going to do Orlando things, too. <laughs> so I very much – so that's it's memorable in that way. I kind of consider almost two thousand one Nashville. I think that was the first year I was working with C Allen, and so I went with. So I, I was working the booth there, but that was the first one I really felt like was like my my real first one.
1: Because yeah, yeah.
0: since then I've only missed I think one. So, so what was
1: yours? So, what was your first experience? Well, my ex- first experience was many years before that. It was nineteen seventy seven which was the second officially named PASIC convention. The first was in 76 in Rochester, New York. Uh, Even at that time. Where was it in 77? It was in Chattanooga. Interesting. And we drove, we drove from Arkansas all the way across Tennessee Mm -hmm. and a car, I think it was a car. It might've been, it it might've been two cars. And I met so many people that first convention (laughs) I was not a shy person. I think I was a sophomore. No, I would have been a junior. I still have visions of every, all kinds of meeting, all kinds of people um, and talking to them. And I definitely even remember the, the concert by the um, UT Chattanooga Ensemble Group. Where we had all new music for ensemble. I remember that concert. I can even envision right where I was sitting and things like that it was just a huge life changing experience. I think it is for anyone. I don't remember why we started this, why I asked that or brought that up. Oh, it was the, with it was opportunities. The, the opportunities. Yeah. Walking through the door. I had been involved in, in, in PAS, you know, from my college days that year, even maybe the year before, um, we had established a state chapter in Arkansas when I was a college student and I was one of the officers in the state chapter, as a college student um, with that. And, and I still have newsletters that that I help send newsletters that I still have copies of those first newsletters from 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 that Arkansas chapter sort of thing. And we had days of percussion, um, we, we would do that. Um, Chow Ragsdale had not quite yet gotten to um, the University of Arkansas, that was kind of going on right at that same time. Um, and the same thing with Memphis State, Frank Schaefer was just coming into Memphis uh, University of Memphis now, but Memphis State at that time. Um, so there's some, it's, it, it goes by very quickly and it's a long time. And yes, all those connections have always helped me um, go through what it was. I was very happy that it came back around as a historian with PAS because that provided me so many opportunities. I never thought I wanted to be a writer or a historian or anything like that, but I would say by nature, I'm a very curious person and I like to learn about things. I
0: believe you. I mean, I believe you just from you telling me all of the different styles of courses you you're teaching that you you don't you don't teach the history sequence and the theory sequence and percussion unless you're. Well, you may have to because you have to. You don't do it well unless you are interested
1: in in learning more about those things. Yes. Um, And and I would even tell you, as you probably know, my advice to anyone Looking for a university job is be be well be well versed in in all the areas possible because it's very likely that you are going to have to teach something else you you just most people don't just get out of school and walk right into a a, a job where you've got full duties as just a percussionist. And to be honest about that, if you're only teaching percussion, you're probably missing out interaction with a whole lot of really great, talented musicians and curious students that you could be influencing. Sure, um, sure. In other words, I I realized that at some of the smaller schools I was at is that oh this is great like like this trumpet player is just fantastic to you know, and this piano player is the one that really wants to have a discussion about somebody that you'll never discuss with an undergrad. <laughs> you right, know, if it right. wasn't if it wasn't that that person, so.
0: I Do you, I'm curious, do you remember some of the people you met at that first PASIC that you went to? Uh,
1: oh, yeah. The, the person that I, that I remember best is, and I can't remember her first name. I always get it right. But it's Vic's, it's Vic Verth's wife. Okay. Um, I think that I met Mike Walter at that one as well. I met um, Haskell Har. His name's on the book, <laughs> books. I someplace have my program from that and I decided I would go around and get signatures of everyone that I met. I had the, my entire program is covered with signatures oh. on that. And I know that a few years ago, I pulled it out and put it someplace so that I would know where it was because I wanted to use it for something. I can't find it now, I've been looking. <laughs> but I do have the the next conventions program. I know right where that is in a box labeled and everything. I'm trying to remember whose signatures are on there. It's hard for me to remember with all of that. But if I, if you see that, that's the kind of question that you asked me and I'd, I'd have to go back and look at who all was there, the clinicians and things. And once I did all that, I said, Oh yeah, I remember this person, this person. Um, and a lot of people I can remember who they are. And then I can't remember what their name is. Even it's like a, a real, a, a real <laughs> basic. It's like, Oh yeah.
0: You're like, really I'm, well, you're studying the – we're all looking very intently at everyone's name tag. Like, yeah. And you're mad that it's, it's flipped over, as it always is. You're like, oh, yeah. I can't <laughs> tell who that is. Well, Jim, let's back up. Where You grew up in
1: Mississippi, is that right? Did I, did I have that right? I had lived in Mississippi, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Texas before I finished high school. Wow. And my father worked for the Boy Scouts. He was a professional Boy Scout, professional scouter. And in order to rise up to the next level of 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 responsibility and 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 titled position, you have to move councils. So I lived in I was born in Greenwood, uh, moved to Memphis when I was four years old, um, moved to Jonesboro, Arkansas, when I was 10 years old in the fifth grade. And then my senior year of high school, the in between my junior and senior year of high school, my father was was transferred to Amarillo, Texas. Mm. And they gave me a choice. My parents did. Um, I had two. I had a younger brother and younger sister still living at home with me. My older brother had left and joined the Air Force. Um, But they said to me, you can either move with dad and have your whole year, senior year at that school or you can stay here with the other two until the house sells. And when the house sells, that's when my mom and my sister and brother were going to move to Texas. And I made the decision at that time. I said, well, let's just, I'll just do my whole senior year. I don't want to move. And I did ask, how long will it be? And they said, we have no idea how long it will be. So, so I spent my senior year in, in Amarillo. I graduated high school there. Um, and then at whatever point, university sort of decision. And I decided I would go back to Jonesboro. Um, and study with the percussion professor there and the director of bands there that I had known since I was um, in the sixth or seventh grade. and and that was Jared Spears. Oh, okay. so I went back back there, and I had a pretty good scholarship there as well.
0: I mean, obviously, you, you've piqued my curiosity about the 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 Boy Scout portion because I guess I don't always think about I know that there's like a a, a national organization behind boy scouts but i, I don't ever i guess I, i've never understood like <laughs> that portion of it because it's always very localized to to you know a certain city or a bunch of troops or however so um I, 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 for you i'm curious were you was there pressure did you do boy scouts or was there pressure for you to do it because your father was involved
1: as he was i don't think there was ever pressure on me to do anything in my life, okay. my parents, all my parents ever did was support me in everything I wanted to do. But again, with opportunities, mm-hmm. I grew up in the summer. I, I was from a city. Uh, we were, we lived in a city, <laughs> it, you know, in I, I lived in Memphis. Yeah. Um, I was just, I, I was, I was boys, Cub Scout age in Memphis. I remember vividly, And then that also is remembrance because of the media coverage and newspaper articles and things like that. And I still have those. And so there are things that I might look at every five or 10 years going through something. But I vividly remember the office building that my father worked in in Memphis. And I would be below the age of 10 at this time. And what I remember, especially, is he was actually given the key to the city of Memphis for the work that he had done with the Boy Scouts at some point. So I grew up at summer camps from the city. I we go to the camp in the summer, and my my dad would work the camp and all of that sort of stuff, and I would be there. And so, you know, I I could. You got archery. You had a lake. You had boats. You had skeet ranges. You could. You build campfires. You did all that stuff way before I was old enough to be in the Boy Scouts. I was just going with him as that. And then, yes, I then went through went through the whole scouting program. Um, I came a little bit short of, I think, one merit badge and a community service project of getting my eagle. I'm sorry, uh, of getting that because I moved my senior year of high school and that's what I lacked. I could not find a troop at that point, but in re- in reality, music took over my life. My senior year of high school, the high school in Amarillo, which was a fairly large town city, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, the high school that I went to was the was the suggested preference when my dad said, "My son needs a, the best band." <laughs> Where is the best band? Which high school has the best band? And so I went to that high school. They had a band, an orchestra, they had a, a, a nationally renowned um, theater troupe, dance stuff, and all of that. My band director was the timpanist in the Amarillo Symphony. He also was the orchestra director. Um, that afforded me great opportunity. I played full-time, I always explain this to you, I played full-time in the Amarillo Symphony as a senior in high school, and I got paid for it. I would go at the convention the downtown convention center music hall play a concert it'd be packed people would clap they'd love it they'd come talk to me after the concert and on thursday of the next week i'd get a check in the mail and i just thought this is kind of fun um on that and i had been doing orchestra and concerts a few years before that back in arkansas but it wasn't on the scope that it was with texas so scouting did provide lots of opportunities my father also provided those the via scouting. Um, a couple of things was like he actually made an explorer post and explorer post are the older scouts and the posts are built around some kind of an activity, possible careers. Um, for example, they have, um, you know, they might have um, like emergency medical kind of, kind of things like an EMS post where you learn all those skills as a scout. Well, he made a band <laughs> And so we had this explorer band um, and he did marching band and he did um, did a jazz band and things like that. He also, looking back on it, probably influenced me some is he had a a post that did um, was like a public publications kind of thing. And so I worked in there sending out newsletters for the for the council and things, learned all of that sort of stuff, editing and publishing and stuff like that. So so it was it's that. And then I got to travel. Um, we would go to Jamborees. I traveled half the United States, um, you know, it, it, it going out to um, uh, Jamborees and things like that. People from all over the world, um, visiting all kinds of places, um, adventure camping, adventure canoeing, whitewater rafting, all that kind of stuff growing up. I always thought I would be heavily involved in scouting as an adult. That never happened. My marching band, my band experience, that took the place of community growth of what Boy Scouts would be, and community participation. When
0: you told me the ages that you moved to these various places, it sounds like you actually kind of, it it landed well with your musical development, because you, when you go to Arkansas, right? No, yes. where do you go after Memphis? Is it- yes to arkansas right so when you go there fifth grade right or fourth grade you're in that time period where that's usually when beginning band is so it sounds like you could actually have a pretty stable band and music you know music upbringing
1: even though you've had a lot of movement i can tell you about my beginning band thing because it's very unusual um and you can and you'll see why i was just discussing this with a a retired uh, person who is in her 80s now that's a graduate of the CCM Conservatory and was in the Cincinnati Symphony back in the 1950s. I was discussing this with her because we were talking about our our upbringings and what what were important things. And so one thing that was important that, that I didn't realize at the time is that we actually began beginning band in Jonesboro we began that in the seventh grade they had a they had a junior high school system set up and um the whole education thing of how old everyone's supposed to be and what ages are in the same building and that sort of thing the whole progressive um sort of process of when should you learn everything at that time um the the junior high was seven through nine and the high school was 10 through 12. In the sixth grade, the directors would bring a small group over from the middle or the junior high and they would play. And then we, you would have meetings after that to, to, for people that are interested. They discuss all the instruments. They had really good recruiting. And so I remember that. I remember sitting across the table with the director, Ruth Poston, when I was in the sixth grade And her saying to me, what do you think you'd like to play? And I said, well, I want to play drums. And you can imagine how many times she hears that (laughs) with all of that. And and she said, well, do you you have any experience? Oh, yeah. I said, yeah, I started playing drums when I was four. I got a drum when I was four. My uncle's a drummer and I have a drum set. I just got a drum set last last year. And... um, then that, that seemed to make it okay since I already had drums. It was, it was better and that I had a background. And then I think they also talked to parents, and my, and my mother said, oh, absolutely, it's okay, and sh- he should do this, and he can do whatever he wants. And then the, the thing that was interesting about it is that my first year, my beginning band year, now you have to realize this is 1969, 68, 69, something like that. My first year, we had a percussion class for beginning band. You know, it was like nine of us, that's the whole class. And we had to pick to emphasize either snare drum or keyboard instruments. So you either play mallets or that, you emphasize that. And we did that the first nine weeks. Then the next nine weeks, we switched and we did all the other areas for like you know three or six weeks each so we had to study accessories we had to learn all that stuff we had to do timpani we you know the snare drum had to switch to mallets the mallets switched to that and drum set and all of that stuff so I had a whole thing the only time we got together with the rest of the band was the Christmas concert and the spring concert now that was I guess in my brain looking back on unheard of but I thought that was normal yeah, so I learned all of that stuff. And I still wanted to be a snare drummer. I was a rudimental snare drummer. That's what I wanted to do. I remember being in the eighth grade, maybe, and watching the high school band march, marching, going across the, the road for Christmas parade. And, and looking at them and saying, next year, I'm going to be doing that on that. Now, we had junior highs, had, we had football, competitive football, Mm-hmm. So, I did marching band starting in the eighth grade, and we did shows and everything. So, I've been doing marching band a really, really long time now, it seems like. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Can't get away from it, sounds like. That's right. You know, I've, I've had jobs where I was not responsible for marching band um a couple of different schools but most of them i was you know not not that i'm the marching band director but i'm doing percussion assisting them right it's hard not to if you want your students to play well right and it's also the most
0: contact you're going to have with them is through marching band
1: yeah and not only them but all of the other students as well yeah um it's you know and and, and that gets pretty bad sometimes because, yeah, like there's a hundred students that you have no idea what the names are, right. but you know what instrument they play. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. Sometimes you don't even know that. Sometimes you're like
1: two months in, like,
0: you look oh, familiar.
1: <laughs> I, we, have, I, we have a band banquet every year and the seniors all get to get up and give, you know, reflection, senior reflections time. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many of those. It's like, man, I've never seen you. Like, you, I have no idea who you are. But, but again, it's a banquet, so they're all dressed up. They're not in their normal whatever, whatever marching band out in the out in the sun kind of outfit they're in, or sitting in the right row in, in the stands in uniform. So it's like, man, I have no idea. Clu- and there's what's also interesting is is this last year there was a girl that got up and said, you know, I've been here four years and. I don't know anybody's name. All I do is come and do marching band. And like all of you out here said, I never, you know, I just do my that and all that. And I actually spoke to her. Um, they asked me to get up and give me, they, I think they gave me like a coffee mug or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I just want say, I just want to tell you whatever your name is because I don't know it just like everybody else. I'm just like you. I, you you know, <laughs> it's like, I said, I'm not really even sure you're in marching band. Are you sure you didn't just show up tonight and just someone said, show up, we're going to do this gag. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I know you said when you move to, when everyone moves to Amarillo, that you, you attend the best band and, you know, all that stuff. Was that move... Did it feel particularly different in terms of you're going to a? Because I mean, now it's much. We it's well known about Texas being its own thing in terms of percussion and band. Back then, was that the case as well, or was it just like this is a really good high school band
1: that I'm going to? I think Texas has always had that reputation. Okay. Yeah, I, I certainly when I moved, um, and Texas people aren't going to want to hear this. Um, the year that I moved, that would have been 1974, 75 school year. So that would be my senior year at, at in high school at that. Okay. So that's a long time ago. And even then being from Arkansas, Texas had the, what I would say, reputation of being bigger and better. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, much of the time, I would agree that bigger is better. Not necessarily that bigger and better, but bigger is better. There are certain opportunities um, that one has when when a school system is a certain size or a city is a certain size um, compared to smaller places. I've lived in lots of different places, and that's you know something that I've I've recognized. But or, as I said. I think I had a rather unique experience at that time with my beginning band or my beginning percussion class that had a a profound effect on me. Mm -hmm. Um, I met Jared Spears that first year as well. He is a well-known composer for band music and for percussion ensemble music and solo. Um, He was an excellent role model for me. There were numerous people that I was in, in school with in, in junior high and high school in in Arkansas that were great players. And I didn't understand how well we all played at that time. Um, I can tell you a simple thing that I, I've realized means something to some people of a certain age now, but it doesn't mean that much to me in the grand scheme of things. When I was in the 10th grade. So, my first year of high school, we had um, region and state auditions for all state bands and band and orchestra. I actually made the All State Orchestra in the 10th grade. I mean, All State Band in the 10th grade. That was unheard of at that time. Mm-hmm. And I can't explain it, I just know that I did that. Mm-hmm. I then didn't get high enough in my region auditions my junior year to even be allowed to audition for the, <laughs> for the Allstate band my junior year. Then I moved to Texas. Here's what I realized when I got to Texas. Our drum line, we do marching band camp. First off, I'm a new drummer. I'm finding out, all oh, my band director's a drummer, and he's got drummer issues, like all you know, whatever you, the instrument is you have, you have all your opinions about all this sort of stuff. Oh, sure, sure. And, yeah. then, and then I realized, oh, all of you people can't read music. <laughs> all of these drummers were just learning everything by rote. He'd pass music out. i just play right through it with every. And I'm looking at everybody and, and they're looking at me like, like, you, you know how this goes? Do you know this? i say, no, this is, that's, I'm just reading the music. You're just supposed to read it. You know, it's marching band music. You know, I'm doing snare drum stuff. Yeah, And so what I realized was that they they didn't learn to read music as percussionists. I have no idea what all their background was and all that. But it became very obvious that me thinking I was going there and I was going to be low man on the totem pole because of the reputation. I was not, uh, not by a long shot on that. The school was a great program and everything. But at that time, it just seemed like, you know, I, I can remember one guy, that was a pretty competent drummer. And we've actually stayed in touch the whole time. You know, yeah. um, I, I know right where he is and, and all of that. And um, there was another piano player that was an oboe player as well. You know, he ended up going to the University of Miami um, conservatory and wonderful musician and all of that. Uh, so there's a lot of great players there, but the drummers in marching band were like, ah. so, <laughs> um, So my experience was very weird. Um, I've been telling this story. I'll tell people this story too. My my director was a curious thing. He was not happy as a tympanist and a high school orchestra and and, and band director. Hmm. I don't know why, but you could ask a lot of people, and they would probably all say the same thing. His wife was was a uh, was played piccolo and flute in the symphony, and she taught someplace too. And I remember them going through a divorce even at some point. Hmm. Um, and that probably has nothing to do at all with it. I just, that's, that's me thinking back to that high school director. It was, it was an interesting path to walk with him because I was very interested in music and he was very frustrated with music. So in some ways he was discouraging me from pursuing it. But then at the same time, he was providing me opportunities. So one of those opportunities he provided me in the fall, he said to me on a Monday morning, He said, I think maybe you should go up to Pampa this coming Saturday and you should audition for the district band or the district orchestra. And I said, Well, what is that exactly? And what is it? And he explained how it all worked, kind of. And I said, Well, what do I have to play? And he handed me this stack of music. (laughs) And I had to play everything snare, timpani, um, tambourine, xylophone, bells. It was this whole long list. It was an orchestral audition, and we didn't just audition for people. We taped it. We went to a taping center, and that's where everyone was taping it. And then it was sent to the region, and the region selected people from there, and then they sent it to state, and they selected it from there. They took four percussionists in the all-state Orchestra at that time. I was selected as one of those four performers. That means something to you if you're from Texas and you – understand how competitive Allstate might be. They did the orchestra first. If you didn't make the orchestra, well then you had a chance to audition for the band come come like um the next month or something. Yep. So anyway, that's something that if you're talking to high school people, he's talking to people from Texas, they 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 say, you actually you were in Texas Allstate? You know, it, it means very little to me. It was just a process I went through. Now, just to explain, you know, I mentioned Mike Bump and my younger brother. Yeah, yeah. You know that Mike Bump was a success is a successful percussionist. Great player. Yeah. All that. Three years behind me, my brother comes along, and of course he's saying, Great, like you made all state in the tenth grade, and now I have to, and I'm in Texas. And it's like, I said, you don't have to compete with me. Well, sure enough, I think he did that as well. And then the next year, I think he said he was going to do it. So, so my younger brother's a very good drummer, you know, very good percussionist. Um, and he made Texas All State. And then the next year he was he was he was coming up, I remember, uh, and I was off at college by now. And his friend, you know, he was talking to one of his friends, and his friend said, I may as well just not even audition, because if you're going to audition, there's no way I'm going to get in, you know, in in school there. And he said, well, he said, you know, I've already done it. And it's not that big. I just you go ahead and do it. I won't even do it. It's not you know, he was into computers then, you mm-hmm. um, know, and all, and, and all this. So he had kind of moved on. And so he did that. He he he, he stepped aside, and let that guy and then that guy didn't make it. <laughs> and so it's like oh, lesson learned there um, on that. So I think I'm just saying that to let you know that. Like I just said, is that where I came from in Arkansas, it was really strong players there
0: yeah.
1: um, on that. And to have like, you know, like my brother had been in beginning band, you know, with Mike Bump. And I, I had taught those people all lessons and stuff. I had there's several a lot of people that I went to high school with that are professional musicians and playing all over the place and teaching all different levels and stuff. Okay. on that so yes i thought it was like you know people would ask me i remember more than one person asked me if my feet hurt when i got to texas and i said what do you mean do my feet hurt and I said well you're from arkansas right and i said well yeah and they said well isn't this the first time you ever wore shoes um and so that was that's what texas people thought about arkansas people
0: <laughs> it's good
1: it's good uh you're serious. Oh, you are serious. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> that's what that's what they would. That's, it's like, yeah, that's the that's the the I, I you know, every state has its. What do people think about that state and the people in that state? So right. at least I had teeth, you know. The, the. Wow. <laughs> so you go to Arkansas State for undergrad? Yes, I went back to Arkansas State. I uh, did a bachelor of music education in case I needed something to fall back on. Right. Um, it took me one. Sem- it took me one semester to realize. Yes, this is definitely what I want to do. I'm 100 percent sure I'm going to pursue this, and I want to be a university professor, and, um, and that was my goal. Um, that you knew that one semester in, or super yeah, ab- absolutely. This is what I want to do, and I'm going to do this. And I had some great teachers, um, not just in you know, percussion wise, someone that I could look to. Anytime you look at a role model and you have a teacher that's like traveling all over the United States, conducting their own music, publishing something every, you know, all of his percussion ensemble music and his solo music, percussion music. I grew up playing that at camp in the summer. I'd play the manuscripts. He would send that recording to the publisher for them to hear it. And then uh, the next year I would see it come out published you're familiar with that little process a little bit of mm-hmm. uh, watching music go through, here's what you do. And here's, it is published and then you're selling it Um and all that. So um, when you're, when you're in the, in the 10th grade and that's happening or the ninth grade, and that's happening, then it's like, Oh, this is really cool. We did that with band literature too. My, my junior high band would record his junior high band literature. Mm. He'd have a recording session and he'd, he'd send that off to like, you know, um, Hal Leonard or Shermer or whoever, I can't remember who Ollie published with. Um, and so I, I went back there, studied there. I knew I wanted to teach, teach university level and pursue percussion and that sort of thing. And so he, I started looking for schools to do graduate work. Um, and he said, he said to me, you should go, See about studying with this, these people. These are the people that I think you would like to do. He had been up at a workshop in Canada that summer, some kind of music workshop, and he'd seen the Black Earth percussion group. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't know what he was talking about. You couldn't just Google anybody and see recordings and stuff. I just took his word for it. So I went and auditioned at Cincinnati. Um, and Al Adi auditioned me. The other people with Black Earth were in um, one of the rehearsal halls next to him doing something there. And I listened to them play a little bit. And I didn't know at that time, but that was the transition year of where Black Earth was um, no longer going to be in existence. And he was hiring new people to establish the percussion group Cincinnati. Um, And yes, my, you know, Dr. Spears was correct. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play all that contemporary percussion music. Um, I had seen Lee Stevens play. I might've seen him at the convention in 76 or 77, something like that. And I did a fundraiser. I did a marching band percussion, a marching percussion clinic with like, and it, you know, I ran it myself and everything. And with the agreement with our Chair of the department, that whatever profits we made, I could use that to bring a percussion clinician in. Mm-hmm. And so I brought Lee Stevens in to play my senior year of college and spent a whole week. He came in and stayed for a week. And he doesn't remember any of this, but I do. Um, <laughs> um, and was very, very um, just like, oh, that's how it works. I see what's going on with that. Um, I spent that whole summer um, after I graduated college at Interlock and working there, practicing eight hours a day. When I got to Cincinnati, everybody thought I was a marimba player. And I would say to them, no, I just really started like all this like six months ago, sort of stuff like that. So I went right through that. I actually interviewed, did some phone interviews for college jobs after one year at CCM and finished the degree in case I got one and then I didn't get one. And then it stayed a whole nother year um doing extra coursework. Um so I had all this extra work, all these extra courses, a whole lot of music history stuff on that. And then I did not get a college job that year and I went taught one year high school at West Memphis, Arkansas, because I I'd come in runner up in an audition for the Memphis Symphony. And so I said, okay, I'll go do there. I'll teach assistant position at a big high school and I'll play in the symphony there worst, worst, worst year of my life teaching high school. It was like, it was like not what I wanted to do. Um, and fortunately the, you know, I just talked to everyone and all this and practiced for some auditions and things. And the phone rang one day and somebody said, would you like a college job in the summer after that first year? I said, yes, I would. And they said, we'll call this guy. You know, they can't, they can't really call you, but if you'll call this guy and he'll, you know, tell them you heard about this and all that. So that worked out. And that was the job, a two-year college just south of Memphis. So I was able to have that and the symphony and freelance in Memphis and all that stuff at that time.
0: You know, it's interesting. You said you spent that year in high school and you didn't want, and you realized that wasn't what you wanted to do, Uh, but you have a music ed degree. So you, you did student teach, right? Oh yeah. Okay. So even after the student teaching, you knew – or even before then, you're like, I know this is not what – I have to do this because this is my degree, not because it's what my plan is for my
1: life. I think it's hard for me to remember all of it, but it it was no issue whatsoever doing a music ed degree. Sure. In other words – they didn't really have what I would say was, I don't, think they're, I don't think they had a performance degree, really. It was a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science or something like that. Yeah. But it's not, it's not really studying to be. I was not aware you could get a job as um, a well-paying job in the New York Philharmonic or the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra or the Cincinnati Symphony or Chicago. I was not aware of that until I went to grad school. Mm-hmm. I had never done any orchestral excerpts or anything. I remember going in the first day and it was another grad student playing Porgy and Bess. And I thought, shit, what have I got myself into? Like, man, like, what is that? I had never heard that excerpt and I was well-versed in music pretty much, but to hear someone, a grad student at the conservatory practicing that excerpt, Mm -hmm. um, like it was like, you know, so it's hard for me to remember what that's like, but I still remember that. I still remember watching Lee Stevens warm up, before he played a recital when I invited him in watching him warm up on arpeggios. And I would just describe to anyone that I know the feeling of doing that and watching students looking at you in awe of how, how do you do that? And I remember being that student, looking at someone in awe. All I could ever say is it sounds like you have fingers and you're playing piano. Mm-hmm. And although nowadays there are many, many percussionists that do that, if I go to a, a, a band, a high school band here, and go in and say, I want to talk to you guys about staying in music, I'm going to play for you a little bit and all that. And I do a lot of that. I do a lot of playing for the public. Um, there, I have no reason to play for a whole bunch of percussion people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it, the last thing anybody wants to do is hear another percussionist play most of the time. Um, if if you're a drummer, it's like you, I'm the, I'm the worst audience person. I, you know, I want to be on stage when I'm watching other people play. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I want to be playing what they are, but I just look at them and say, wow, that's like really good. I I need to go practice because I want to, you know, like, what am I going to do next? Like that sort of stuff. It's, it's interesting how bad an audience person and listener I am (laughs) um, compared to how much I enjoy going on stage and play. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can be anything. Mm-hmm. My, my basic answer all the time, people, you know, if you just talk to general people, they say, well, what kind of music do you like? And what do you like? You know, what do you listen to? And all that. I say, well, I just listen to things I'm playing usually. <laughs> and my favorite music is whatever somebody's paying me to play right then um, on that. So that's kind of the process after many years of doing that. I taught one year and it was a great experience. Um, the person, it was an assistant director position at West Memphis, Arkansas, which is right across the bridge from Arkansas, from Memphis. And, um, at that time it was the fifth largest high school in the state. I don't know where it is now. That's a long time ago, but it was a very large high school. We had two symphonic bands, um, very large marching band. I had, um, a rifle line and a color guard, but they all did rifles as well. I think there were 11 of them. I think. And they won the championship for the state that year. They were like just awesome people mm-hmm. um, with that. Um, a good drum line, the, the talented students, the band director that I worked with was a, was a super great guy. I had known him since I was in the seventh grade. Um, and I had worked with him at summer camps and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, so he was a, he was a good, he was a good, music person that I knew we had lots of mutual friends and I'd worked as a faculty member in college where he was bringing his students um, some of his students already knew me even mm-hmm. so anyway that was a great experience from the standpoint of I don't want to do this sure. part of not wanting to do it was was what I was teaching I know was the second band um, I had a study hall. It was a large study hall. It was really cool in some ways, looking back on it, because in that study hall was the entire basketball team who at that time had the longest winning high school winning streak in the nation. Mm. Um, several of those players that went on into pro ball. Um, and, do, you, and that, do you remember any of their names? Um, the only name I remember that was pretty good. He went to Memphis State and the one I was named. I, I think um Keith Lee, I think is his name. yeah, I remember him.
0: I mean, I that's like very early in my 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 sports knowledge, but yeah that's
1: good. Um, and and of course, the, I mean, there are these huge people, and the basketball coach was the assistant principal and his and his daughter was a flute player in the band. Mm-hmm. um his name was Terwilliger was his, you know, coach Terwilliger. Um, and he he's super tall and his, and his daughter's just this little petite blonde, just super nice and everything. Anyway, um, and he told me, he said, if you ever have any issues with any of these guys, you just let me know. Don't, don't argue with them. Don't do anything. Just let me know. And there was one point that came up. And I told him, I said, I don't think I, I will, you know. But, yeah, there was a point at some point, um, I remember, and I mentioned to him something about it. And yeah, they all came back in the next day. It was like, boom! They're just silent doing their work. It's just like they're not. He like, took care of it. <laughs> he, he did. Um, so, so all I would, all I would say is that uh, high high school seniors at that time, they really they really think they've already learned all of it, and they're just in charge and big wigs. Sure, you know and. I didn't really like enjoy working with what I would say were people that weren't interested in learning. Right. Which I had a lot of those. Figurative. Yeah. Um, they were just they were just waiting to get out of high school and then and then I don't know what they were going to do mm-hmm. um with all of that. And I didn't really enjoy any kind of involvement with, oh, I have to deal with a parent that's having an issue with their child or their child's having an issue and I have to deal with the parents. I wanted to deal with adults. Yeah. And I wanted to focus on music. You know, I didn't want to deal with everything that's not associated with music. Best time of the day, I always enjoy this. This is because I'm a coffee drinker. And the best time of the day was when I actually had parking lot duty in the morning, Mm -hmm. which I think that was a 630 or 645 assignment. And you had to stand out in the parking lot and make sure that when they parked their car, they got out of their car immediately and went into the building in which you couldn't just stay in your car in your parking lot and do whatever you want to do in the car. Right. So I would get to go out and be alone and drink coffee in the morning for like 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember that being, being pretty cool.
0: <laughs> right. But not, not working with adults. I I, I got that. That is not a, a working with adults situation there.
1: Right. Yes, And what kept me sane was I'd finished that mm-hmm. Eat, drive across the bridge to a symphony rehearsal. Right, and so it's like, oh yeah, finally, adults here doing real music. Yeah, that makes if that makes any sense.
0: When you're doing your masters, so okay, so you still you you know you're getting calls or there's opportunities to maybe get to teach college, but at what point do you decide to somebody say, hey, you should really get your doctorate when does that come into your come into your head
1: well like i say is i first off you didn't have to have a doctorate to have a i I understand and that's part of the reason i'm asking that at at that time
0: yeah
1: Uh, many 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 I, i can tell you this though is that after after having some bites on some college jobs after my first year And that took place at the end of my first year, my master's. And so there, and that's a Cincinnati has a quarter system. So there was a whole quarter in the summer where I was thinking I might get one of these jobs. So I enrolled full time in the summer and, you know, did a whole nother quarter of school, finished the entire degree. I had all the, all the requirements finished Mm -hmm. um, at that point and then didn't get a job. And so I stayed Yeah, and I, Took a whole bunch of all the courses I thought would be best for me to be a good teacher Mm -hmm. on that. And that whole time, once I realized I'm not getting a job, that entire year, probably once a week at least, I would go to whoever it seemed like was the next in line, again, if necessary, over and over, trying to get this converted into a doctoral degree. In other words, I had finished the master's. And oh, the, 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 the new courses you were taking. Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. In other words, I hadn't graduated with a master's. I had just finished the coursework. Right. And I probably could have gone through, um, matriculated with the degree anytime I wanted. Right. But what I kept trying to do was get, get accepted into the doctoral program for percussion. Well, no one had ever done a percussion doctorate there. Hmm. It's listed in the catalog. It's all right there, but they couldn't figure it out. It was a transitional time period also for the dean of the conservatory. I think someone died that year, and there was a one-year interim. And I even tried the next year afterwards, after I graduated from that, still tried to get in for a doctorate with that, especially, I think, when I had um, gotten my college job then like the next year after that, they could not, Al Adi, you know, Al would, and I would be in communication. It's like, he could not get anyone to make a decision or a committee to make a decision while they were looking for a new dean. I said, you know, because they had never done it, all of the faculty there, the three people that were there, which were Al Adi and Jim Cully and Bill Uhas. Mm -hmm. and, And I was Jim's first graduate student. Um, Jim had just graduated from his master's degree at that time and come right into the percussion group. So he and I were just two years difference in age. Yeah. And um, you know, just lifelong friend, you know, I just, just, just can't tell you how close that relationship is to watch all the great things that he's done. And, um, and, and that, and Al too, it took a long time. What I would say for Al to, um, Al's one of these people that you really have to kind of prove yourself to him he's got very high standards in lots of different things and all of that and and i and i do feel fortunate there was a point that came in my in my career or something where al and i sat down probably at a PASIC or something and he just you know just really it's very obvious to me that oh he's very interested in the things that i'm doing and and i'm doing super productive stuff that he that he's he i am obviously someone successful to him yeah. um yeah. on some level somewhere, and that sort of sort of process and and i'm you know I've spent lots of time in the last few years you know staying really in in touch with him um because he's a just a world of just uh, just his brain of all the history of percussion stuff, just fascinating um he's just worked with every living composer that there is um percussion wise for for so many years so um what I then had was i can't get this degree here. <laughs> I obviously have a college job. I think I probably was there two years and said, yep, yeah, I like this. This this is good. It's going to be fine. This job looks pretty secure. But I'm at a two-year college. Right. It's okay, but I really think I'd like to go to a bigger university. So I said, I need to do my doctorate. I asked everybody, and this includes at PAS conventions, especially, asking everybody there. Where should I do a percussion degree? Now, my, I, do, I should mention that my, my master's degree is, is a, in percussion performance. And I'm not really sure what the degree reads, but it's a master of music, percussion performance and literature. It might be a performance in literature. I'm not sure what. Yeah. Um, on that. And the, the resounding answer from everybody, both percussion and not percussion, was, well, if you want to teach university level and always have a job, you should just go to Eastman. If you can get into Eastman, do that. So I think maybe the next year or maybe it was within that, I talked to John Beck at a convention. I just talked to him and told him who I was. And you're talking about early people that you're meeting. This is going to be pretty early. This will be, you know, in the early 80s, 82, 83, something like that. Mm -hmm. Probably 80, 81 or 82. 82. I'm going to guess that. Um, Because I started my doctorate in 84. So. 83 might be too late and and other people a lot of people would then say I you know the second choice came down percussion wise um at that time came down to North Texas State and so I talked to Bob Shatroma, yeah that's the only two people I talked to after I asked everybody and looked at all of that and looked at where everyone had degrees from with all of that and then I made the decision well I'll go audition at Eastman and um see how that goes, and I'll send a tape to North Texas. I've only got so much money I want to spend and so much time, so I sent a tape and application to North Texas, and I went to Eastman, and um, JB accepted me at Eastman, and I explained how I want to start in the summers, and then work out where a good year to take off would be, and do residency that year, and he said that all works out fine. My recollection is, he said, okay, you'll start this summer, and let me know by this date any year that you want to do residency and you'll be first in line on it i did get accepted to north texas and i even have a copy of the letter um, that i wrote to bob where i told him i'm sorry i'm not going to be able to come Um, i've decided to, to do this and so that was my process i knew i knew i had a college job and i knew that i needed a doctorate to progress from there I think I've never completely fully documented this, but I think JB said to me one time, I'm only the fifth person, um, I, or I am the fifth person that completed the doctorate degree at Eastman. I don't think I was the fifth one to start. I think I started and it took me a long time because I was working all the time. And there's a couple of others that jumped in there and just stayed three years and finished it um, like that, mm-hmm. uh, with, with all of that. So, But the doctorate degree was not, you know, back in the very early eighties, it was a lot of people, like I said, I couldn't get one. They wouldn't, it let, they, it was decades when I got an email from Al and said, you'll never guess what happens is happening this fall. <laughs> and I said, is it something like really unusual that I've been waiting for? He said, yes. I said, you got somebody sent to the doc. He said, yay. Yes. So I don't know who that was. I should look that up. So I find out how long it was, well, how long it took them to actually get a doctor going.
0: And we'll hear more from Jim next week in part two. So stay tuned as you will not want to miss that. This week's rave is the 2022 film, The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Jeffrey Wright, Colin Farrell, and Paul Dano, among many others, and written and directed by Matt Reeves. While this movie came out earlier this year, I only finally caught it sometime last week and actually watched it on my laptop with good headphones. I bring this specific viewing situation up because it helped me make this experience worth talking about here. I will note at the start, these types of movies with comic book characters or superheroes or a lot of science fiction are typically not my go-to movies. I have to be really invested or have to see the movies in the theater to even watch them just once. It's pretty typical of my movie-watching habits. With that being said, I've always tended to appreciate and enjoy the Batman movies. While they are comic book-based, there's always been a heavy dose of reality regarding these movies, particularly the Batman Begins trilogy done by Christopher Nolan from the mid-2000s on. It's that kind of grounding That has always sparked my interest. After watching this newest version under Matt Reeves' direction, that grounding is really effective. One particular review from Roger Ebert's website mentioned it as in line with 1970s cop dramas, like The French Connection, among others, which I can definitely see. That gives this movie a grittiness and edge that I really enjoy. From that grounding also arises amazing images and scenes that are incredibly well-crafted and beautifully shot. And while the movie is over long, and it is, it's just under three hours, and it really doesn't need to be, this is when I should point out the importance of watching this movie on my laptop with good headphones. The item that really put this movie to the next level was the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, you have the fight scenes and all the sound editing and explosions that is typical for these kinds of movies. But I was completely in on Michael Giacchino's score from the outset. In particular, he uses a repeated bass motive in the piano that gives this sense of a funeral dirge in one of the opening scenes. And it's a motive that shows up pretty regularly in the film. And this is just one aspect of the film that gives it an epic nature. But lastly, the end credits have a tune by Giacchino with these same ideas called Sonata in Darkness, which is a work for solo piano that is tremendous. It hearkens to the work of some composers you may have heard of, namely, and among others, Ludwig van Beethoven, Franz Liszt, Frederick Chopin. Alexander Skryabin, and Sergei Rachmaninoff. Do I have your interest now? I hope so. A really good, interesting film with great performances across the board, particularly Zoe Kravitz as a soon-to-be Catwoman, a great epic, a dramatic feel, and a terrific soundtrack. Check out The Batman, now streaming everywhere. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at petezambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, The Episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sperkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time for part two with Jim Strain, until then.